2: LCC Brandon.
0: Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com.
2: Download the Faith Talk Tampa app.
0: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded.
2: He tells us to think ahead concerning what the future holds for those wicked unbelievers who are so successful and so prosperous. And what the future holds for them, he says, is death. Death. He says they will wither quickly like the grass, and fade like the green herb. In other words, their lives and their prosperity, they're very brief, very short-lived, just like the grass that flourishes for a season and then dries up and dies. So the wicked flourish for only a season, and then it's over. They get old, they die.
1: In Act 3 of Hamlet, the title character uttered those famous but not always well-understood words for tis sport to have the engineer hoist with his own petard. In other words, it's fun to watch the bad guy who's planting a bomb get blown up by his own explosives. We love it when people get their own comeuppance, as my mother used to say. Poetic justice is another phrase. When it comes down to it, we'll settle for justice in any form. We just want life to be fair. But it isn't fair, is it? At least not in the short run. In the short run, it looks like nice guys really do finish last. But God has a longer view of things, and we would sleep better if we took that view as well. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the year taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In a previous meeting, Pastor Steve began a new series from Psalm 37 titled, Fret Not Because of Evildoers. Today we'll continue with part two of his three-part introductory message. In this psalm, King David helps us face the age-old question of why it seems that godly people so often suffer, often at the hands of evildoers, while those who are mistreating and taking advantage of the godly tend to skate through life without ever suffering the consequences of their wrongdoing. David said in verse 14 of this psalm, The wicked have drawn the sword, bent their bow, to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in their conduct. That's more than a little irritating, isn't it? If you can, grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 37. Here's Pastor Steve to help us avoid blowing a gasket at the injustice we often see and sometimes experience.
2: So not only were the believers of his day upset and angry over the wicked who who were thriving, but they resented their success. They resented their prosperity, and they wished that they could trade places with them and experience some of this prosperity. Now, this was the prevailing mood amongst the believers in David's day. They were angry and envious over the good things that were happening in the lives of the lawless, and the fact that they were being persecuted by these evildoers while at the same time struggling and suffering in life. And perhaps, I think it's very reasonable to understand that, that some of their anger was directed against God himself, because after all it seems so unfair seems so unjust of, of god to prosper the wicked while his own people were running into all kinds of of trouble now i think that all of us can empathize with people like this with the believers of david's day this this isn't such an odd feeling that we couldn't relate to it because if we're honest we'd have to admit that there have been times that we felt exactly the same way We know how they were feeling. We've all known what it is to be irritated and irked when someone who has absolutely no interest in the Lord seems to be leading an ideal life, relatively trouble-free, making lots of money, business going really well. They're swimming in luxuries. They're held in high esteem by, by many. Their health is reasonably good all the while they are living in total disregard of God. At the same time, we who are trying so hard to honor the Lord, so hard to walk in obedience before him, we keep running into all kinds of problems. We have money troubles. We have job issues. Bills keep piling up. Family difficulties. Health concerns. And we're not being held in high esteem by the world. We're being held in low esteem because of our faith in Christ. Listen, when we see all this kind of stuff going on. Not only is it easy to be angry and envious towards ungodly people, it's also easy to doubt the Lord. It's easy to wonder where is God in all of this? Why doesn't he do anything about this situation? Is he really just? Does he really care about us? Does he really know what's going on? And if he does... Why hasn't he done anything? Doesn't he have the power to do anything? Well, if you've ever felt like this, or you've ever wrestled with this question of why some ungodly people seem to to thrive and flourish and have so much success while some godly people suffer so much, have so many trials, then you'll want to pay close attention to our studies in Psalm 37. We'll only scratch the surface today. This will take a while. Because in this psalm, David addresses this very issue by imparting to us godly, mature, and most importantly, divinely inspired wisdom on the subject. And the way he does this is most interesting. It isn't apparent in our English Bibles, but in the Hebrew text, Psalm 37 is what's known as an alphabetic acrostic because every other verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, there are a few other psalms that are written like this, Psalm 119 being the most notable one, and probably the reason that that David did this was, well, two reasons. Number one, poetic style, but also as a device to aid the Jewish people in memorizing these psalms. And quite frankly, because David structured Psalm 37 around the Hebrew alphabet, it is a little challenging. It's a little challenging to come up with an easy-to-follow outline of this psalm because throughout the psalm, David tends to go back and forth, repeating himself, saying essentially some of the same truths just a number of, of times. However, although there are lots of repetitious thoughts, In Psalm 37, there's really only one specific question that David is addressing in the Psalm. And if you keep that in mind, it'll help you to understand the Psalm. He is addressing this one problem, this one question. If you'll keep that in mind, it'll help you to understand David's message, the theme of the Psalm, the meaning of the Psalm. That one question is this, how do we stay calm? How do we not get upset when the ungodly is so prosperous and we're not, and God appears to be indifferent to our situation? That's the issue of this psalm. That's exactly what David is saying to us in the very first verse of the psalm. I told you, it, it sets the tone for the psalm. It addresses the, the heart of the problem. Don't fret because of evildoers. Stay calm, stay cool, be composed when you see the wicked thriving and you are not so thriving. The rest of the psalm is simply an answer to this one question How do we not fret over evildoers? Now we want to begin to see how David answers this question of how to keep from fretting, of getting angry and upset over evildoers, we want to delve into the first section of this psalm, verses 1 through 11, because in this section, David reveals two ways to keep from being upset over the prosperity of the wicked. He tells us, number one, to look ahead to the future. He tells us, number two, to look up to God. Look ahead to the future, look up to God. Now, today, we're as I said, we're only going to scratch the surface of this section as we begin to unfold the psalm. And the first thing that David instructs us to do, if we are to keep from being upset over the prosperity of the wicked, he instructs us that we are to look ahead to the future. Verse 2, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Now, immediately after informing his people, informing us, what the problem is, the many believers in his day were upset and jealous over the successes of the ungodly, David states something that will help his people, something that will help us, help us all just to calm down, get a perspective on this. He tells us to think ahead concerning what the future holds for those wicked unbelievers who are so successful and so prosperous. And what the future holds for them, he says, is death. Death. He says they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. In other words, their lives and their prosperity, they're very brief, very short-lived, just like the grass that flourishes for a season and then dries up and dies. So the wicked flourish for only a season and then it's over. They get old, they die. Now, I want you to notice how often in this psalm, David repeats this very thought of how temporary and short-lived material success is, and then it's gone. He repeats that concept throughout this psalm. Notice verse 9, for evildoers will be cut off. That's what he means, it's over. But those who wait for the Lord, they'll inherit the land. Verse 10, yet a little while the wicked man will be no more. He'll look carefully for his place. He'll not be there. He's talking of death. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They just vanish away. They're gone. The end of the Psalm, verses 35 and 36, I've seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in his native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Of course he couldn't be found. He's dead. He's gone. See, David wants us to realize right from the very start of Psalm 37 that what we see today in the lives of some people who we think have it so good, it just won't last. Their success is fleeting. It's so passing. It's so momentary because in a few years, they will die. So there's no reason to get upset over their prosperity, because it's only for a brief moment in time. It's not for eternity, and that's his point. Listen, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, you have trusted him. He's your Lord. He's your, he's your Savior. We need to have our eyes and our minds, not on the world here, but on eternity, not on the momentary prosperity of evildoers, we need to think ahead to when this life is over and it will be over and not dwell on something as brief as making money and having material goods. Putting this in a contemporary setting, a great Bible teacher, James Montgomery Boyce, had this to say about the future of the wicked. Commenting on verse 20, he wrote this, the text says that although the wicked flourish like the beauty of the fields, they will vanish, vanish like smoke. He said, we speak of the beautiful people, meaning Hollywood entertainers, high fashion models, those with exceptional wealth or influence, and other celebrities. These people seem to flourish like field flowers after spring rains, but like flowers, they soon vanish. Beauty fades, popularity wanes, wealth overextends itself and is lost, and influence passes to other hands. Listen, this life is very transitory, meaning that it's fleeting, it's brief. And those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will one day live with him forever in the glories of heaven. We ought not to waste our time, not waste our our energy on being upset with those who have just a few brief years of prosperity. The Bible calls us to, to think about eternity, what the future holds, and it's in light of eternity that we are then to view this world and its material wealth. That's the way we're to live. This is the way men and women of faith have always lived. Moses lived this way. The Bible tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter in the New Testament, we read this starting in verses 20, in verse 24 going in verse 26. By faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Here's the reason why, for he was looking for the reward. He had a forward look. What we read here is that Moses chose to identify with the Jewish people, his own flesh and blood, the people of God, and to suffer as one of them rather than enjoy the passing luxuries and pleasures of Egypt. He had been adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. He lived in the palace, but he rejected all that because he understood what true riches really were. And the reason he had this perspective on life is because, we learn here in Hebrews 11, because by faith he kept his eyes fixed on what the future held for him, heaven. When the writer says he, he looked forward to the reward, that's what he's talking about, the reward of heaven. That's what he was looking forward to. See, Moses didn't allow the values of this world to govern his thinking because he looked forward to a better world, as I said, meaning heaven. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us that that's the way all the Old Testament men and women of faith live. By faith, they looked ahead, as he puts it, to a better country. Abraham lived this way, verse 10, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Other men and women of faith have the same perspective, starting at verse 13. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. He's saying they weren't thinking about an earthly country, verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So understand this, if you are a Christian, a real Christian, a believer in Christ, then everything in this universe belongs to you. Even if you have very little in this world, it belongs to you because all that Jesus Christ has, the Bible says, is yours. And what does he have? Everything. This is what the Bible means when it says that you are an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, he says all things belong to you and you belong to Christ. Now, we have not come into our inheritance yet, but we will in the future. So the point is don't fret over those unbelievers who are enjoying things now. You know what? Because that's all they're going to get. That's it. Let them enjoy it. That's all they get. And then they die. It's just for a brief time. They'll be gone. Death will come upon them and they will spend, if they don't trust Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What difference does it make if a man has everything that this world has to offer But he loses his soul and he spends eternity lost without another chance. What difference does it make if for a few brief years he enjoys material luxuries, if he's lost forever? So if you find yourself becoming upset, annoyed, envious, jealous, because some evildoer you know has more things than you, see what your attitude really is. It is sin. It is sin. It is sinful pride. It's a spirit of covetousness and greediness and an unhealthy love and attachment to the things of this world. This is precisely what the Apostle John was addressing in 1 John chapter 2 when he said, Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. And then he said the world is passing away. Same thing that David is saying. It's just brief. It's passing away. Also, it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever, meaning believers live forever. The world passes away. Don't, don't hold on to it. Don't love it. Don't be so attached to it. Don't love the things that are here today and gone tomorrow, and don't be upset over those individuals who have the things that are here today and gone tomorrow because they will pass away with all of those things. So if you are guilty of fretting because of evildoers, upset because somebody has more than than you do, then you need to repent of that. It's sin. Don't excuse it. It's sin. It's wrong. And what will help you to repent is to look ahead to the future and see what will happen to those who have so much success, so much prosperity today. They will, as David says, they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb, and then it's over for them forever. So that's the first way that David instructs us to look and deal with the problem of being upset over evildoers, he says, look ahead to the future, think of the future, don't have your eyes on problems here, think ahead, look ahead. But as he continues in Psalm 37, he gives us a second way of dealing with this problem. In addition to telling us to look ahead to the future, David also tells us that we are to look up to God. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good, Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now, starting here in this verse, verse 3, David directs his readers to turn their attention away from the ungodly and to look to the Lord. From this point until verse 7, everything David says has to do with commanding us, giving us certain commands to enhance our devotion and our relationship with the Lord. In these verses, he commands us, for example, to delight in the Lord, to commit our way to the Lord, to rest in the Lord, to wait patiently for the Lord. All these are commands to enhance our relationship with, with the Lord. And the reason he directs us to look to the Lord is because the cure to a fretting and a jealous heart is to make sure that our relationship with the Lord is right. It's right. And we do that by keeping our eyes, our focus, our minds, our attention on him and by cultivating our devotion to him rather than keeping our eyes on other people and on difficult circumstances. So to help us to keep our eyes on the Lord and not fret over evildoers, the first thing David instructs us to do is to trust in the Lord. So what exactly do these words mean? Trust in the Lord. Trust him for what? What exactly is David telling us to trust the Lord for? Well, notice verse 3 again, because David tells us precisely what he means when he says, trust in the Lord by adding these words, and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness.
1: That reminds me of those magic eye puzzles where you look at the picture that just seems to be an incoherent and random assortment of patterns, and then try to resolve it into something sensible. As you adjust your focus beyond the paper, suddenly a three-dimensional picture forms from what had at first looked like chaos. Often we need to look beyond the present, and even beyond the near future, to see the wonderful artistry of God's great plan of redemption. Once we learn to take the long view of life, to be able to look twenty, thirty thousand years into the future, the troubles of this world lose some of their power over our minds. As the old hymn says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. It's nice to have you here with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our Bible teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can learn more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Pastor Steve is passionate about teaching the Scriptures in a systematic and practical way. He's also passionate about getting God's Word to the visually impaired So if you have a digital talking book player from the library service for the blind and want a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com or 800-838-5924. As I mentioned at the start of our broadcast, we are just getting going on a new series. Today is just the second part of a three-part message kicking off this study of Psalm 37. If you missed yesterday's class, you can catch up at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Message Archive tab. While you're there, we hope you'll take some time to explore the many previous broadcasts we make available at no cost. We also have a page that makes it easy and safe to give online if the Lord is prompting you to help fund these listener-supported programs. That's versebyverseradio.org. Thank you for your generous gifts and your faithful prayers. Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. said, Some people are so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good. Well, C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, begged to differ. He said, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought,